It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval amongst the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she insisted, when, when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept knocking and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other two, the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarrelling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks, Marianne. Good morning. Lovely to see you all. Uh, Mark and I haven't been all that well this week, so please excuse me from uh, greeting you on the door. It's probably better I stay out of circulation. Um, friends, we love a good hero story, don't we? Love a good hero story. Uh, we watch them all the time, you know, whether it be uh, Lion King or Hobbit or Star Wars, um, uh, so many. Uh, now, all the hero stories, they follow the same path. They're, there's a predictability to a hero story, but we still can't get enough of them. We'll still watch more of them. Uh, now, of course, we like this in real life too, don't we? We like hero stories in real life. Uh, there's, j just as with the movies and the TV series, there's a predictability to hero stories in real life, whether it be military or political or sport or, or whatever, and we can't get enough. We, we love the hero story. Uh, millions are tuning into uh, the Australian Open at the moment. And uh, it leads me to thinking of, is there a better hero story than Ash Barty, right? Uh, uh, and as with all heroes, there's a really predictable story. Um, they follow the same path. So their introduction uh, place is country town Queensland, Ipswich, just outside Brisbane, 1996. Ash Barty is born, grows up swinging a, a tennis racket and a cricket bat. Um, the challenge arises... Uh, that's the second stage, right? Challenge arises, professional offers from tennis and cricket, which way to go? She has to choose one, decision to act. Uh, uh, Barty chooses tennis as barely a teenager, sets her sight on Grand Slam tournaments. Uh, and then you have the journey, the obstacles. Uh, Barty as a teenager reaches her career high, uh, world ranking of, uh, junior world ranking of number two, uh, having excelled in both singles and doubles, winning Wimbledon junior competition in 2011. But then, of course, you have the turning point, uh, a significant turning point when uh, Barty takes a break from tennis to prioritise her uh, mental well-being. Uh, she said later she took some time out of tennis. She said, uh, it was too much too quickly for me uh, as I've been travelling from quite a young age. I just wanted to experience life as a normal teenage girl and have some normal experiences. Uh, so she played cricket for the, teen uh, for the Brisbane Heat. You know, that's normal. Um, and, uh, but then she recommitted to her tennis career. So then you have the resolution, right? Uh, you, know, you know the resolution, the story as well as I do. Uh, her, with her return came success as she became the second Australian uh, tennis player to be ranked number one in the world. Uh, and uh, hold, she held the ranking for 121 weeks, winning the French Open, the Wimbledon, uh, and then, of course, the finale. You might remember the finale. It was only a couple of years ago, right? Her return. Uh, she returned to Australia to triumph at the Australian Open 2022, uh, which led to her announced retirement soon after. You see, that, 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 that's, that's a path, isn't it? it it's, it's a hero's path. It's a predictable path, but it's a good path. Isn't it? We, we love hero stories. Uh, we particularly love true hero stories. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I think this passage that Marianne read for us, is a passage that we love, Acts chapter 12. Um, it's the account of the prison escape of Peter. Uh, now let's run through the stages of the story. We're the same stages of the story. We'll have a look as we go through the familiar seven stages. And so firstly, you've got the introduction. If you've got it open in front of you there, Acts chapter 12, verse 1, we've got the introduction here. Uh, the early uh, the Christian community faces persecution uh, and King Herod Agrippa uh, executes James, the brother of John. You see it there in verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, 
he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The scene is set for bad news, isn't it? Uh, it adds to the end of chapter 12, which, where the prophets are predicting famine for Jerusalem. And so not only are Christians coping with a famine in town, as everyone else in Jerusalem is, they've also got a really hostile ruler in King Herod. Um, the Herod family tree would give them no cause for comfort. Uh, his grandfather was Herod the Great. His uncle was Herod Antipas, who tried both John the Baptist and Jesus. Um, the bad news for Christians continues, though, uh, because Herod required the dominant culture of Jewish people to be on side for his rule to go smoothly. And he found, Herod found, that beheading a key figure of the Christians actually pleased the dominant Jewish culture. So, of course, what's next? Uh, why stop a good thing when you're on a roll? Herod arrests Peter, perhaps the most prominent of the 12 disciples. That's the introduction, right? The challenge arises. So the particular challenge is Peter being arrested and imprisoned, perhaps to face the similar fate uh, to James. Herod was taking no chances in this. Do you hear this in verse 4? After arresting him, he put him in prison, had him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Sixteen guards assigned to this one man. Peter was what parents would call a runner. Uh, he was, uh, uh, for readers of Acts, we know that in Acts 5, he escaped prison. No doubt this detail was not lost on Herod. Normally it was considered enough to just uh, 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 handcuff a prisoner to a soldier. But you see with Peter, that's different with him. He gets handcuffed one on either side. Uh, second part of verse 4, Herod intended to bring Peter to trial after the Passover. So that's the nature of the challenge. In a place of famine, a place of tyrannical rule, supported by a dominant Jewish culture, that the church fear was that this man would be considered, who they considered kind of their leader or one of their leaders was going to follow the same fate as their friend and uh, uh, brother James. So what does the church do? Do you notice what the church does? The church turns to the unseen power of God. They pray. Their confidence is in the unseen power of God, the one who rescued Peter last time from prison. Then we come to the part of the hero journey that I called before the decision to act. Now, this is actually where we work out that the hero of this story isn't Peter. Now, the hero structure remains, but the obvious hero is Peter here, but, but he's not the hero here because he makes no decision to act. Did you notice that? You could say, well, perhaps uh, the church are the hero there because they're, they're praying. But who are they turning to ask for help from? Of course, the one who decides to act is the one we don't see. The one who decides to act against this very visible, very dominant display of power by King Herod is the church's unseen Lord who waits to act until the very night before the trial. Let's have a look at the journey and the obstacles. Uh, verse 7, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Once again, there's a confirmation here that Peter is not the hero here. 
Can you, can you tell me what Peter was doing in verse 7? He's not strapping on his sword to fight, is he? He's not digging a tunnel like in The Great Escape. That's not the kind of hero story we have here, is it? What's Peter doing? He's sleeping. I've got to say, it doesn't make him a hero. But it actually does speak of his trust in the unseen Lord, doesn't it? That he'd sleep on this night before the trial. Uh, here Peter is a night before a show trial when no doubt he'll hear false testimony against him. Uh, no doubt he'll be humiliated. No doubt he'll be hurt, uh, physically toyed with. No doubt he presumes he's going to go the same way of James. Yet he's not sweating it, he's sleeping. I know that speaks to his trust, doesn't it? It's a bit like Paul's in prison a bit later on in Acts. What's he doing in the middle of the night? He's singing praises to God. Friends, I've got to ask you, do you have that same confidence in the unseen God? We need to grow in faith, don't we? The second part of verse 7, the angel speaks. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Uh, Peter followed him out of prison, but he had no idea that the angel, uh, what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Can I just pause and ask you, who's in command here? Peter's not in command here. He's not being heroic at all, is he? He's just following the commands of an angel. In fact, at this point, Peter's not even certain this is happening. Uh, we've read in Acts that Peter's had visions before. He thinks this is just another one of those. It's so important to recognise just how passive Peter is in this passage. He's really just a passenger in this prison break. The angel had to strike him awake. He was obviously in deep sleep. His, angel, his chains fell off. Um, the angel ordered him to get dressed like a four-year-old. Did you see that in stages? Get up, put your clothes and sandals on, wrap your, clothes, your cloak around and follow me. Like, he's really very passive. He's a passenger here. Um, Peter could sing the line from the hymn, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth and followed he, thee. But he's not even sure this is happening, right? And so then we come to the turning point. I wonder if you remember the classic scene from Get Smart. I, I'm sorry, you've got to be of a certain age to remember this. You know, the, uh, the opening scene to Get Smart was a while ago, wasn't it? Where, where the doors just keep on opening as he enters into uh, wherever he's going, the office. Um, that strikes him as a bit like this passage here. As, as Peter goes, just every guard, every gate just opens before him and, and he finds himself out on the street. It's almost remarkable. Uh, he's complete passenger here. Verse 10, they passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they'd walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. It's the only point. Uh, it's, it's really only at this point that Peter realises that this is not a dream, this is not a vision, this has actually happened. So what's his realisation? What's his resolution? There are no verses here more important than verse 11, I think. This is where Peter realises what's really going on. Verse 11, then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. 
Peter realizes there's been a rescue from both the Herod and the Jews. Uh, that despite all their power, all their planning, um, all their public trials, he was actually being rescued from it. And it's not a Frank Sinatra moment, I did it my own way, I did it my way. Like, it's not that at all, is it? Peter realizes it's just, out of the, by the grace of God, he's just been rescued. Um, he's been a passenger in this rescue. Salvation, he's recognized, is from the Lord. Of course, it always is. But we forget. The language there is without a doubt. Don't you love this? Peter, the classic doubter. Without a doubt, the Lord had sent his angel. So the angel isn't the hero either. Because Peter recognizes that without a doubt, the Lord sent this angel. The seventh and final stage of this hero story is the return. Uh, Peter returns to his brothers and sisters in Christ who have been prayerfully uh, concerned for him. Now, I genuinely think this part of the episode is comical. Like it's, uh, it's really quite funny. Um, I wonder if you heard that as Marianne read it. Uh, I wonder if Luke was laughing as he wrote this down um, for us in this book of Acts. Um, it's one of those parts of the story you think you just can't make this stuff up. Uh, so, so Peter had gone through every door imaginable in the Jerusalem jail. It had opened for him. The only door in Jerusalem that's not opening for him is his friend's door, where, is the, where the church is meeting and praying. Uh, have a look at verse 12. Uh, when, uh, when this has dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked on the, at the outer door, outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind they told her. When she kept insisting, it was so. They, they said, oh, it must be his angel. Now, do you remember the possibility I voiced earlier that this group of people were the heroes of the story? I think this is where it breaks down. Because here they were, they received what they were praying for, but their actions don't look all that heroic here, do they? Firstly, this servant girl who is named, uh, uh, her name is Rhoda. She recognises Peter's voice on the other side of the door, but doesn't open the door for him. Now, three sets of prison doors were open for Peter, but not this one. And secondly, the praying church didn't believe Rhoda, just like they didn't believe the women who spoke of the resurrection of Jesus. When she was telling the praying church that they were, their prayers were answered, they thought way more logical possibility was that she was out of her mind. They called her crazy, mad. And, and then rather than the rescue of Peter from jail uh, that they'd been praying for, they thought it was more likely it was Peter's angel speaking at the door, knocking there. What do you call believers who don't believe? I guess you call them us, don't you? But uh, verse 16, uh, but Peter kept on knocking uh, and, and when, uh, when they opened the door, they saw him. They were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And they left for another place. So Peter is heading into hiding. But he wants the praying church to tell this story to James 
one of the other leaders in the church, that what's the most important aspect that he wants told in this story? It's not about the prison break, is it? Verse 17, how the Lord brought him out of prison. That's the important bit he wants retold. Get the hero right. That's what he wants to be told. It's the Lord who's the hero of this historical retelling of Peter's prison break. And frankly, at the cusp of the new year, that's one of the things that we gather as a church to do. We tell one another. We encourage one another. We remind one another to get the hero right. To, re, to reorder our lives, our desires, our priorities around the unseen Lord who saves. As the writer of Hebrews says, do not give up meeting together. Encourage one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. The day being the day when this rescuer returns and reorders everything permanently. That's what we've got to do as we gather week by week. Can you imagine the night for this church after Peter had gone off and disappeared into the quietness of the night? How would they, what, would they, what would that have been like for them? I imagine there would have been lots of laughing about Rhoda not opening their door. Hopefully there would have been lots of apologising to Rhoda for calling her crazy, for calling her mad. The church in the midst of famine and persecution and grief would have turned to God in praise that night, wouldn't they? As unlikely as this is to every external observer, this was the camp of victory. For Peter had been saved. From the camp of victory, the camera moves to the camp of misery. The camp of the all-powerful Herod, with the moral support of the Jewish leaders. They're thrown into turmoil when they recognise the public trial they hoped for would not go as planned. And so instead of the public trial, they had another trial. Verse 19, Herod runs a trial killing off his own people, the guards who didn't guard. And that trial precedes what would turn out to be his, Herod's final trial before God. Verse 21, on the appointed day, Herod wearing his royal robes sat on his throne and delivered the public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of God, not a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Where we're at in the book of Acts, you see in concentric circles the word of God was spreading in Acts. That's what you see in Acts. But in chapter 12, we actually return. Um, uh, so we're about to get to a great leap forward among the Gentiles in, in chapter 13 and beyond. But we've come back in chapter 12 just to come back to Mission Central for a moment to see what's going on in Jerusalem, to see that God is still at work amongst the famine and the persecution. He's at work rescuing his people so that the word would flourish. Do you remember back to the start of the account, the famine, the persecution, the visible, visceral power of King Herod? Humanly speaking, that's the power that we see day in, day out. That's the power that strikes us, isn't it? That's the power we read about in the papers 
That's the power that is most obvious to us. But that's only when we exclude the unseen power of God. To our shame, we so often get caught up in the seen power around us, forgetting the unseen power of God. People of faith continue to remind us about this. Daniel did when he revealed when God revealed the dream to him. He said this uh, during the night, uh, the verse nineteen of, of chapter two of Daniel. During the night of the mystery was revealed to Daniel a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said this. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and uh, raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. This is just one reminder in the Old Testament of the unseen power of God. Job reminds us too. Then in the New Testament, Jesus reminds us, Paul reminds us, why so many reminders of the unseen power of God? It's because this is what we so continually forget, isn't it? In Acts 12, God's unseen power is at work through his angels, through his people. Why? For the flourishing of his word, despite the visible power and work of others. Friends, today, do get the hero right. Do remind each other to get the hero right. And we're going to remind each other as we sing uh, this next song, Never Alone. We're not alone, for Christ is here. Emmanuel, our God, come near. We're not alone, for to our world, Jesus has come, eternal world. Let's stand, we'll sing.